author Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. The last episode of the Paul Leslie Hour featured an interview with Julie Budd, entitled Julie Budd Returns, my second interview with the great singer. And we mentioned someone in that interview named Richard Skipper. Richard Skipper is a very interesting and very inspiring person. I love the guy, and I do not hesitate at all in telling people that. Who is Richard Skipper? He's an arts advocate, an entertainer, a promoter, a raconteur, an MC, a host, a producer, a writer. I consider him an impresario. He's a career coach, a motivational speaker, and a blogger. As Julie Budd mentioned in the second interview we did, she considers him the mayor of New York. He's very involved in the arts. He is truly an arts advocate and a supporter of people who undertake the arts. Richard Skipper is originally from South Carolina. Some of you might know that I, at one point, was on the FM airwaves in South Carolina, Charleston to be precise. But this interview was originally heard on the radio. Please be aware, when this interview was conducted via telephone, I had one of the worst colds I've ever had, so you might notice that I seem a little hoarse. It's a great interview, and we talked about a lot of things. I hope you all enjoy. Do let me know what you think. Who knows, maybe we can get Richard Skipper back on the Paul Leslie Hour. Right now, we are celebrating a man by welcoming him for an interview. Richard Skipper is an award-winning entertainer, theater historian, and blogger. Richard Skipper is a man who keeps the arts alive. So in celebration of Richard Skipper, it is my pleasure to introduce the one and only Richard Skipper. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much. Now I want you to repeat all of that because that was quite some introduction. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to have you here. I admire what you do. And so it's a pleasure. I've actually wanted to do this for quite some time. Well, it means a lot to me. It's a great way to start my new year and, you know, to get the word out about what I do and what I'm all about and what I hope to achieve and what I hope to change in the world and all of the above and then some. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Well, I grew up in a very small town in South Carolina, just outside of Myrtle Beach, called Conway. South Carolina, and Conway is considered the gateway to Myrtle Beach. Of course, when I was growing up, Myrtle Beach was nothing like it is now. It was a great place to grow up. I grew up in a very large family. My father was one of 10 children. My mother was the oldest of 16 children. And yes, you heard me, right? 16 children. Wow. So I grew up surrounded by family. I also grew up on a tobacco farm in South Carolina. And I grew up in an era that saddens me. As as I get older, I get more and more nostalgic for it. I guess that's part of our human nature. But I grew up in a time where, until I left home, I left home when I was 18 years old to pursue my career in New York. But growing up with my family, my parents never went to bed on any night for the first 18 years of my life, not knowing where their children were. 
And of course, we were home. We were not out doing things that we should not have been doing. We sat down together every night as a family unit to have dinner together. I grew up in an era when there were three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. So we were not inundated with all that we were inundated with on a daily basis. And it wasn't a perfect, there were issues as well, but I grew up in a pretty idyllic situation as far as family is concerned and as far as setting, for lack of a better word, the foundation of who and what I'm all about today. And so hopefully that answered that question about what my childhood was like. Well, when did the interest in theater come in? Well, as I said, I grew up in an era of the three networks, and I grew up in a television household. We sat down and we watched television together as a family unit. And in those days, there were three networks, as you know, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Those networks were only on the air from 5 or 6 in the morning to 1 a.m., and then, of course, we heard the national anthem, and everything signed off. And those three networks always vied for the largest demographic. And therefore, I grew up watching the stars of my generation sharing a television special or a television show with the stars of my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation. So I really grew up knowing who these people were. And that was the world that I wanted to be a part of. I snuck up late at night to watch old movies on The Late Show. And... In the mid-70s, when all of this was whirling around, as far as show business is concerned, there was a huge nostalgia craze. That's when That's Entertainment came out. And so I really jumped on that bandwagon, watching all of these old movies and wanting to be a part of that. But I always felt that I wanted to be on the stage. And it's hard for me to decipher when, where, and how that came from. But from a very early age, I knew that I wanted to entertain people. And I started acting with a local theater company called the Theater of the Republic in Conway when I was 13 years old. And I was taken under the wing of a wonderful woman in South Carolina named Florence Epps. And Florence Epps said to me, that she felt that I had the makings of a great entertainer, but that if I didn't get rid of my very thick southern accent, that I would be stuck doing shows like Tobacco Road the rest of my life. So I started taking elocution lessons with her, and she had a little playhouse in her backyard behind her house on Main Street in Conway, and I would go to her home every Wednesday and Thursday afternoon, And I would help around the house doing chores in the garden and doing shopping for her and helping out. And then we would go into the playhouse and we would start to read from the classics. And she had a a very interesting way of working, which has stayed with me to this day. If we would be reading from a play or reading an autobiography or a biography, and I would mention a famous name or a person or a historical event, she would stop me. And she would say, okay, what can you tell me about this person? And if I didn't know anything about that person, she would say, our lesson is over for today. I will see you next week. And she would send me to the library to do as much research on those people as I possibly could. So I grew up knowing who these people were. And she instilled in me that any time I appeared on stage, I was carrying the mantle 
of every great entertainer that has ever gone before me on my shoulders. And it was up to me to keep that legacy going. And I guess that that is why I do all that I do, even to this day. Wow. You have a particular interest in Hello, Dolly. I do. It started with Carol Channing. A lot of people who know me know that for 20 years I performed all over the world as Carol Channing. I headlined in Atlantic City. I headlined in Las Vegas. I appeared at Carnegie Hall as Carol Channing. I appeared on stage many times with Carol. There were many times when she was in the audience of my shows. I was very involved with her Foundation for the Arts. That, of course, is a long, long story of a trajectory that took me through many, many different avenues. And my love of Hello, Dolly! really came as a result of my love for Carol Channing. And last year, 2014, was the 50th anniversary of Hello, Dolly! opening on Broadway. So two years ago, I started working on a project that I'm still working on, compiling interviews with many of the surviving people, not only from the original company of Hello, Dolly!, but subsequent companies of Hello Dolly. I have a website, as you may know, called callondolly.com. And I started out wanting to write about the women who played Dolly. But over the course of the last couple of years, I've interviewed people as diverse as, I mean, everyone from Marge Champion to Michelle Lee to Carol Channing to... Marion McAndrew, who was in the movie version of Hello, Dolly, to Tommy Toon. There are all these people who have contributed to this musical. And again, maybe it goes back to, you know, my upbringing. Hello, Dolly, to me, exemplifies a simpler time. Tell me about the first time that you met Carol Channing. What was that experience of meeting her in person like? Well, it's a very interesting story. I was introduced to her by a guy named Leela Forge who sadly passed away just last month. And Lena Forge, I found out as I was putting my show together, I used to impersonate, and I hate that word, but I used to perform as Carol Channing at parties. I would get up at a microphone and just sing with her voice, but without full costume and everything. And when Carol came back to Broadway in 1997 for the last revival that she did of Hello, Dolly, a friend of mine called me up and said, said, you should do a show about Carol Channing. And I said, well, what if audiences are not interested in seeing a show about Carol Channing? And he said, well, you'll find out whether they're interested in a show about Carol Channing. So I basically started putting a show together. And then I found out that the New York City Gaiman's Chorus was going to be doing a celebration of the music of Jerry Herman. This is in the days before I had email or anything like this, so I put together a press kit. I sent everything to the artistic director of the New York City Gaming Chorus, and I got no response. And I sent three press kits, and at no point did I ever get a response. I didn't get a response saying, thank you for your interest, but we're not interested. Thank you, but our show has already said. I got nothing. And then Lena Forge called me up, and asked me if I was going to the concert. And I said, I don't think that I would be able to go and enjoy it. I think that I would be sitting there thinking, well, why am I not up there? And he said, well, I'm playing the cast, the uh, after party. Why don't you show up as Carol and give her a chance to see who and what you're all about? And again, as I said earlier, what if she doesn't like me? What if I get there and I'm escorted out by the police? Anything could possibly happen. 
And he said, well, you'll never know until you try it. So I said, give me 24 hours to think about it. And I'm weighing the pluses and the minuses of me crashing this party the next day as Carol. Well, Lee and I got together. I agreed to do it. And Lee and I got together, and he learned the entire show that I was putting together. And I arrived at the Regent where this was taking place, and I walked in, and Lee was waiting for me at the door when I arrived. And, of course, I'm in full Carol Channing regalia, and he escorts me through the crowd to her table. And it was like the parting of the Red Sea. People could not believe what was taking place. And I walked in, and Carol saw me, and she said, where did you learn to do this? And I said, Biddington College in Vermont. You do know where that is, Carol? It's the lower left-hand corner part of the map, the part of the state that's always purple, which, of course, is from her act. And she said, well, how long have you been impersonating me? And I said, well, who's to say you're not impersonating me? Uh And she let out this roar, and she said, please come and sit down next to me. And she started asking me all these questions. And, Paul, I never broke character. And I stayed completely in character, and because of my research, thank you, Miss Epps, she wasn't able to stump me on any of the questions that she was asking me. And so she said, well, you're not going to know about Bobby Schmaltz. And I said, it's the damnedest thing. He nominated me for the secretary of the student body in the seventh grade. And she said, you're scaring the hell out of me. (laughs) And then there were all these people that were waiting to see her, and I said, before you leave tonight, I would like to do a song for you. And she said, you would like to do a song for me? And I said, well, actually, I'd like to do your whole, my whole show for you, but I don't think you'll have the time. And she said, we'll make the time. And then she stood up and she said to the entire crowd, I never thought I'd say this, but we're all going to go see Carol Channing. Tell me when and where. I said, upstairs in 10 minutes. And she says, well, there you have it. And she led the crowd up like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. She sat on a stool right in front of me. I've got these incredible photographs that someone took from behind, catching her reaction to everything I was doing. And after I finished the show, she jumped up and she spoke to the audience, and she said that most people who had impersonated her had made fun of her. And this was the first time that she was shown with love and respect and polish. And I told her that I was working on this show that I was about to open at a club called Don't Tell Mama in New York. And I said, but I only want to open the show with your permission. And she said, take the gauntlet and run with it. And as a result of me doing that show, I ended up going to Atlantic City to do my first show. And that led to a 20-year career. And when Harry came into the picture, who was Carol's next husband, Harry loved me and thought of me as a family member. And he treated me, they both did, with such, talk about the love, respect, and polish, they treated me with that same level of respect. And it was an incredible journey while it lasted. Wow, that's quite a story. It's wonderful. Well, someday I hope to put it all in a book because there's a lot more to it. On the note of Hello, Dolly, tell me about Jerry Herman. You interviewed him. I just recently interviewed him. I feel that Jerry is probably an underrated 
Broadway musical composer. You know, Carol always said, you know, when God was giving out talent, Jerry stood in line twice because he is a lyricist and he is a composer. And, I mean, everything that Jerry Herman created was to uplift people's lives. Hello, Dolly, Mame, Lacage Fall, even Dear World, all of these shows lift up people's lives. And he came along in the mid-60s. I mean, his first Broadway hit was Milk and Honey, which was 1961, but throughout the 60s and into the 70s. And of course, Lacage Fall hit at the same time that the AIDS crisis hit Broadway. And we lost so many incredible people in the theater. And after that, the sensibilities of Broadway and, you know, when the whole British invasion started happening, I think that Jerry was considered, unfortunately, old hat to a lot of people. And Jerry felt that the Broadway that he came to know and love no longer existed. And that's why he stopped writing. And it saddens me very much that he did that. I mean, the last great musical that we got, of course, was written for television when he did Mrs. Claus with Angela Lansbury and Charles Durning. The process of interviewing him, what did you find him to be like? Humble. It was very much as if he was so even surprised that I even wanted to interview him. He was endearing. He was very open about the Broadway musical. We talked mostly, of course, about Hello, Dolly, because that was the crux of my interview. And last year, this is a very interesting thing. Last January, I threw a brunch at Sardi's for the companies of Hello, Dolly. Not only the original company, but the subsequent revivals of Dolly, the Mary Martin International Company. And I brought together 75 former cast members of Hello, Dolly. And when I started putting this together, I thought that I would get the support of Actors' Equity, Jude Jansom, who, of course, runs the St. James Theater, where Hello, Dolly premiered on Broadway, other organizations in the theater. Paul, I got no support from anyone. I did it all myself. And I could not believe, I mean, when I look back on the fact that I threw this brunch at Sardis for all these people, it blows my mind that I was able to pull this off. And Jerry Herman called me the night before the brunch to thank me for doing this. And he said, Richard, if you had not done this, nothing would have been done to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Hello, Dolly. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's hard to believe almost that somebody that talented could be that humble. Hello, Dolly ran from 1964 until 1970. And seven of the greatest leading ladies in the history of the theater played the role, not only on Broadway, but around the world. And so many people made their Broadway debuts in this show. And yet, the Broadway community did nothing to commemorate that. Hmm. You have this blog, Richard Skipper Celebrates. You've That's sp- right. You've spoken to so many people on this blog. Who comes to your mind first when I mention people that you were in awe of? All of them. I have to say all of them. 
It's very interesting. As I've interviewed, and you, of course, you've interviewed so many people, I could ask the same thing of you. I learn from every single person that I've interviewed. With very few exceptions, have I done an interview that did not excite me. I've even done interviews with people that other people have suggested that I interview that are not famous people, but are making contributions to the arts. When I first started writing my blog, I didn't know what to call it, and I reached out to people on Facebook to find out what they suggested that I call my blog, and someone suggested that I call it Richard's Rants and Raves, which was the original title. And then I realized that I was raving about people, but I wasn't ranting about them. And because that's not who I am. And I really wanted to celebrate the people in the arts. And that's basically what I call my company. That's what I call my business. That's what I call everything that I do. To me, everything is a celebration. And we need to celebrate people. We live in an age with TMZ where their job is to put people down. Just because someone is famous doesn't give anyone the right to publicly flog them. And I feel that we need to start building each other up instead of tearing people down. Every reality show is based on knocking people. You know, last night I was watching Celebrity Apprentice. And you've got these celebrities that are dealing with the same insecurities that you and I deal with. And this one-upmanship of being better than the next person. And of course, I know that this is what our current state of entertainment has turned into. But why? Who are the role models for these kids? When kids see adults behaving the way that we are seeing adults behaving on television, why should they be excused from doing the same exact same thing on the schoolyards of every school in the country? Hmm. We have to get away from that. We need to start building people up. We need to start celebrating. If you're not interested in them, there are other options. Go and do something else. But don't just sit there and constantly knock them down. And that's what my blog is about. I want to celebrate these people. You've done a number of these types of celebrations where it's been it's been you on stage and you're interviewing someone on stage. That's right. Who would you like to do an on-stage interview of that you haven't yet? The two people that come to mind would be Barbara Streisand and Shirley MacLaine. And why those two? Well, both of them have contributed so much to many different areas in the entertainment industry. And I, again, am all about celebrating what I call their body of worth. I'm not interested in the gossip. I'm not interested in who they've slept with or who they haven't slept with. I'm interested in what makes them tick, what inspires them, what gets them from this point to that point. Those would be my holy grails. Those would be on my bucket list of two people that I would really love to interview on stage. This past year, I had the opportunity to interview Leslie M. Warren. And I grew up watching Cinderella as a kid and you know, so that to me, with all due respect to every other person that I've ever interviewed, both on stage and through my blog, that was the most exciting and thrilling interview for me. With all the things that you do, is there a biggest passion? I love to entertain. I love to be on stage. I love it when I connect with an audience. And I love to be entertained. When I am sitting in the audience and an entertainer touches me and touches me down to my very solar plexus, 
there's nothing better. I don't need drugs. I don't need any of the other vices that people strive towards and, and are addicted to. For me, that's all I need. What is the best thing about being Richard Skipper? <laughs> being interviewed by Paul Leslie. <laughs> Come on, the real answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, the best thing about being Richard Skipper. Last night I was watching an interview with Cicely Tyson, who amazes me. And someone asked her a question and about arriving. And she said, when I arrive, it's time to leave because she's always striving towards that. I try to be the best person that I could possibly be. I have my own personal motto in life, and that is, and I know I'm going to sound like Pollyanna, and uh, you know, and a lot of people out there are going to be reaching for their insulin shots, but I really feel that if I've offended one person, I've offended one person too many. And I really try to be the best person that I could possibly be. I try to lift people's lives up. I want to continue doing that. I would love to be able to do it on a bigger scale and not for my own ego, but in terms of celebrating others. I would really love to be able to reach that level of doing that. For anyone who's listening in, wherever they are, what would you say to them? Totally open-ended. Touch base with me. You know, I'm very easy to, I follow me on Twitter go to my Facebook page. I have a website, richardskipper.com. I have a guest book. All that are listening, I would love to get your thoughts on this interview. Find my guest book with your thoughts. Please stay in touch. And to take the challenge this year as we embark on a new year of lifting people's lives up instead of tearing people down. And, you know, I also have a favorite quote, and it's from the book Illusions by Richard Bach. And that quote is, you know, who wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel, argue for your limitations and they are yours. When I told anyone that would listen that I was going to come to New York on August 5th of 1979, I picked the date when I was 13 years old. And I told everyone on August 5th of 1979, I'm moving to New York. And of course, everyone, my family, no one took me seriously. And every year I would go four years to go, three years to go, two years to go. And the day that I flew to New York, and it still blows my mind, this year will be my 36th year in New York in August. It still blows my mind that I did it because the odds were all against me in terms of making it happen. And I've been dealing with my own trials with a certain situation in my life pertaining to my career, which when I'm ready to go public with, <laughs> I'll give you an exclusive interview among all the other people that I want to get it out to. But I keep forging ahead. My philosophy is you can't shoot a moving target. Keep moving. Keep moving mm. towards your goals. Keep doing what you can to get out there and make things happen, not only for yourself but for other people. And I will say this, Paul, and maybe you feel this also with the interviews that you do, but... I find that when I've taken the focus off of me and I'm doing things for other people, that nothing is greater than that. Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. Who is Richard Skipper? Richard Skipper is someone who strives to be his best person. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just strive to be the best that I possibly can. I begin each day by thinking, I sit down at my desk, 
I get up in the morning, I make my coffee, that's my vice, I sit at my desk, and I go, okay, let's make magic. And I love to see how the day unfolds each day. Nice. And when my partner comes home, you know, I have a partner, we've been together, this year will be our 25th year together, and thank God, now we're legally married. When he comes home, I shut down. And, I mean, from my computer, I get away from, I don't walk around with a smartphone in my hand. Because of the business that I'm in, we have a lot of social obligations. And they're not really obligations as much as I want to do them. I never feel that I'm obligated to do any of the things that I do. I choose to do those things. And we have a very active social life with both people in the arts and people that are outside the arts, or civilians, as most people in the theater call them. And I'm very, very fortunate that I've got a well-rounded life. I'm happy, for the most part. <laughs> this is a question that I have. If you could pick any song, any song of any type, that you think best embodies who you are, what would that song be? Before the parade passes by. I want to add one more thing, if sure. I may. Absolutely. I don't know why, but I have a very acute sense of realizing how fragile our lives are. This year alone, I've lost so many friends. When I watch the news at night, and I am a news junkie, and I hear about someone's life being cut short because of a car accident or some brutality that's happening in the world, it actually makes me cry because I think not only about that loss of life, but the ripple effect of all the people's lives that have been affected by that. And I think that we've gotten to a point where social media, as connected as all of us are, just as connected as we are, we are that disconnected. Oh, yeah. And people, you and I, I don't know how old you are, I'm going to be 54 next month. Standing in line to see a movie and striking up a conversation with someone standing behind me or being in a restaurant and striking up a conversation with a person sitting on the next table, which I do from time to time. But so many people now are so stuck on their, their phones that they're not aware of anything that's going on around them. I watch the news. Watch the news tonight and watch a news reporter on the street and watch the people that walk past them in the background looking at their phones who have no idea that they're even walking in front of a camera. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's definitely the sign of the times. We have to connect with each other on a physical level that's beyond just social media. It has to happen. Otherwise, it's going to be the demise of our civilization as we've known it. Yeah. Thank you very much for doing this. Well, thank you. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> what have I said? What have I not said? <laughs> it's been a joy. I hope you have a Thank good day. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. <laughs> Which don't take a walk again. Goodbye.